From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. Congress continues to work on tax legislation. Another Trump campaign figure, Michael Flynn, has pled guilty to lying to the FBI. And President Donald Trump is contemplating firing his Secretary of State, the former ExxonMobil CEO, Rex Tillerson, in the midst of a chaotic situation at the State Department. I'm Sean Zeller of CQ Magazine, and today, amidst this plethora of options, we're going to discuss the third. My guests are Rachel Oswald and Patrick Pexton, who cover foreign policy for CQ. Thanks for joining me, Rachel and Pat. Thanks, Sean. Good nice to be, to be here. here. All right, Rachel. Um, so what do we know about Trump's plans for Rex Tillerson? Well, we know what has apparently been leaked that uh, the, the Tillerson will be pushed out, and in his place, um, uh, Mike Pompeo, the head of the CIA, will be nominated. Um, and then uh, Senator Tom Cotton is reportedly in the lead to be nominated to take over at CIA. Right. And Pompeo is a former congressman from Kansas. Cotton is the junior senator from Arkansas. Both Trump allies, right? Mm-hmm. And, and noted, noted fierce Iran hawks. Right. Okay. So... Why has Trump had this falling out with Rex Tillerson, who he chose for this job? It appears to have been building over for months. Famously, uh, Rex Tillerson said this summer during the height of the Charlottesville crisis that um, when President Trump said that there were good people on both sides, um, equating the white supremacists with the, the peace activists, and Tillerson said the president is speaking for himself on this matter, creating huge daylight between him and the president. And then it was leaked more recently that Secretary called the president a moron during a a classified briefing about the U.S. nuclear arsenal. So there's been lots of things coming. The president has also publicly belittled um, the secretary's efforts at a diplomatic solution to the Korean Peninsula crisis. This is coming even as the secretary has tried to implement the president's desires to drastically cut back the budget at the State Department and to overhaul a lot of the day-to-day operations of the Foreign Service. And Tillerson was supposed to have uh, really close ties to Russia, having worked there for ExxonMobil and cut deals with the Russian government for ExxonMobil. But all of that has kind of gone by the wayside because of the Russia investigation, mm-hmm. the, the special counsel's investigation into the Trump campaign, right? So there hasn't been much yeah, going on as far as It's been Russia. a frozen tundra. There's been very little that Tillerson has been able to do because Congress moved to tie his hands the way they did. Now, meanwhile, Tillerson has embarked on this reorganization of the State Department, and it's caused him to offer buyouts. A lot of senior diplomats have left the department. Um, and he has left a lot of political jobs unfilled. So what's going on? What do we know about this reorganization, what he's trying to achieve? Well, the secretary likes to call it a, a redesign. He's trying to say it's mo- so much bigger than just moving circles on a, on a reorg chart. He says he wants to, to bring into the 21st century. But the ideas he's talking about are, are pretty, I mean, they're pretty common sense things people have always talked about at state. We need a better IT system. We should extend diplomatic tours. I mean, there's so much investment put into training diplomats for, for an assignment, language training, being there in the country, building up contacts. And then they have to come, come out kind of right right when they're really learning their, their assignment. So what we're hearing is pretty common sense, long standing recommendations for reform. 
but the implementation of them is months behind schedule. They were supposed to have something done by September, then it turned into the end of the year, and and we're not seeing anything coming near. And and, and I think in part they have been They've had to react to the signals coming out of Congress where we have seen different bills in the House and the Senate that would not allow Tillerson to implement any significant changes until Congress has had a chance to review and approve them. So Tillerson is kind of reacting to what the, the, the Capitol Hill is saying, and all of this is just making a much uh, more difficult process. Meanwhile, they have gone through like three different heads of the reorganization plan. The most recent one, I think, departed this week to return to the private sector. And they have been slow getting their nominees in place who would be in charge of kind of helping shepherd some of these changes. All right. Let's turn to you, Pat Paxton, to get a little context about the Foreign Service. I mean, tell us uh, who works at the State Department and what and sort of their culture. Give us a sense of their culture. You know, the State Department has always been known as kind of an elitist branch of the government. And there's good reason for that. They go through a pretty rigorous training program. They have to take a very rigorous exam which is a difficult exam, and not so many people pass it. But um, somebody in this room has passed it. Yeah, I right, actually Pat did take the, the test. Day. I took it twice, and I failed the first time, and I passed the second time with a much higher score than the first one. I never could figure one that figure that out. Anyway, it's a difficult exam, and there are people who live all over the world throughout their careers. They live in uh, uh, hardship countries. They live in luxurious com- countries, and they get to know a lot about the world. They are different than your ab- average GS5 or GS6 who works here in Washington at one of the agencies. Right. These the are different kinds of people. These are smart people. These are yeah. elite people who view themselves as elite. And they do. And they generally graduate from good colleges. Many of them have master's degrees. Maybe the majority have master's degrees. And uh, they go through a very rigorous uh, vetting of security and background. So they're they're a little different than your average government bureaucrat, even by definition. And they see themselves that way because of their sophistication, their education, and their traveling experience. Right. So no surprise that they are chafing under this reorganization. So give it, give us a sense um, if what has happened. What is happening to the Foreign Service as a result? We have uh, been told that there has been a decimation at the uppermost branches. The the Korean ambassadors, the equivalent of a four-star general, they went from six to only two, which is a huge loss. The next level, the career, mi- uh, career ministers have also seen, I think, a 40% loss. And then below them, the career counselors have also seen a strong loss. And so Rex Tillerson said this week that basically Foreign Service is the same size it was last year, but but you have lost a lot of the senior talent. Um, you are seeing retirements that are happening at a rate that we haven't seen during recent transitions, and you are you're you're, you're seeing the elimination of positions that were advertised, and you're seeing the re- the rescinding of job offers. So there's a lot of confusion. The fact that fewer people have signed up to take the Foreign Service exam than than in many 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 years is also a Apparently signal. Apparently, it's down by half. Right. That's that's a huge change. So so you're seeing all sorts of negative signs about morale. And there was an appointment made by President Trump to a job called the Director General of the Foreign Service, a man named Stephen Acard, which has caused uh, an uproar, I guess, among career Foreign Service officers and former former officers. Why so? 
so he had 10 years in the Foreign Service. This is a position that normally goes to somebody with decades who's achieved the highest ranks of ambassador. He got out after 10 years. The comparison that's being made is just like taking an army captain and then making him the chief of staff of the army, a four-star general rank. This is a Senate-confirmed position, but the Senate, the Congress passed a law that said this position must go to a current or former Foreign Service officer as an attempt to to insulate the position from partisan concerns. Uh, the nominee is a former staffer for um, Mike Pence, the vice president. There's just concern that it is bringing politicalization into a key in, position. Uh, like a private sector job in Indiana. Right. But for years. And this this position is very central to the heart of the Foreign Service operations. Um, it's in charge of human resources, training, promotions, giving offering advice about who should be promoted. So so it's it's it really goes to the very heart of how the Foreign Service operates. Pat, turning back to you, I rem- I recall during the Bush years there was a battle during the Iraq war uh, over influence between the State Department and the Defense Department over who would handle the rebuilding of Iraq and reaching out to people in Iraq, uh, jobs that had a diplomatic edge to them were going to the Pentagon. Is this part of that? Is this the Trump administration trying to give more power to the Pentagon? I do think that is one of the issues involved here. This has been a long-term trend going back 20 or 30 years in which the Defense Department has slowly seized the initiative for foreign uh, aid, foreign rebuilding. A lot of the money still comes through the State Department, but very often these programs in other countries are run under the various combatant commanders of the Pentagon. The U.S. Central Command, Southern Command, these kind of commands have more and more influence over how foreign aid is distributed, how foreign programs are conducted. This has been a long-term net flow of power from the State Department to the Defense Department, and it seems to be ongoing. And the money, uh, give us a sense of the difference in the, the budgets of the two organizations. I mean, that really tells a story. Yeah, well, both the State Department and Defense Department budgets have increased since 9-11. You would expect that. Uh, but proportionally, the defense budget has gone up much more than the State Department budget. And the amount of personnel, I think, uh, the Defense Department with, what, 700,000 civilian employees, it's it's way bigger. It's way bigger than the, the State Department. You've got 75,000 at state, and, and the DOD budget's about an order of magnitude larger. Ten, it's about 10 to 12 yeah, times yeah. higher budget than the State Department, the Defense Department. And so the overlay here and the the most grave uh, foreign policy uh, conundrum facing the country right now is probably North Korea, which this week launched a missile and apparently demonstrated its capacity to hit any city in the United States. So, Patrick, are we at risk of nuclear attack from North Korea? I think we are more at risk than they were last week. This missile was way larger than the previous ones they launched. This was a rocket nearly as big as the Titan II boosters that we used to put uh, astronauts into space, a very big rocket. It can go a long ways. On the other hand, I don't think that Kim Jong-un is looking for a war for the United States. He's looking to keep us at bay. He's looking to have us uh, kowtow to him as a, as a, as a major power. Uh, but he knows that if he launched anything against us, we would destroy him and we could destroy him. I think this is about him uh, achieving his place in the world as an equal player. Uh, and he is certainly pursuing that hard and fast. And there's, there's still some question, right, about whether they can arm this missile with a nuclear warhead that can re-enter the atmosphere safely. Yes, yeah, so far they have not tested any missile that has had a re-entry vehicle, in other words, a bomb loaded on a vehicle that separates from the missile, comes down through the atmosphere, and lands on a target. They have not demonstrated that capability yet. 
although this rocket was so big, the experts are saying that in the nose cone, there's plenty of room and plenty of uh, heft to lift uh, a nuclear bomb, which weighs about 1,000 pounds. So uh, this looks like they may be capable of it. They have not tested such a thing so far. Mm-hmm. Okay, so within the context of our discussion about the State Department, does the Trump administration view North Korea as a diplomatic problem now or a military problem? I think they view it uh, as both of those problems. And going back to Tillerson, Tillerson, the one who's been trying to uh, talk about negotiations, keep channels open. There are back channels of communication open with North Korea. Tillerson's been the one to manage those. And yet, as we know, Trump was belittling uh, his efforts, belittling Tillerson's efforts, sending out a tweet saying, oh, don't waste your time, Rex, on diplomacy. So if Tillerson departs, I think that puts us in a greater risk. Uh, Pompeo is more of a an aggressive personality than Tillerson is in terms of military, the use of military, I think that puts us in a little uh, more um, risky situation. That they could contemplate a preemptive strike. They certainly could. Whether they would do it, whether Defense Secretary Mattis would counsel that is in question. I think Mattis would counsel against it, but you never know. Right. From what I understand, North Korea's missiles sites are all over the country that they would be difficult to take out in one fell swoop? They would be. Uh, the, the missile they shot the other uh, evening was, in fact, on a mobile launcher, on a big, massive truck that can move around the country. They have lots of caves and tunnels in the North Korean mountains. Uh, it would be difficult to destroy all their weapons. Very difficult. Okay. Rachel, so back to you. You wrote a good story this week about how Congress is reacting to the turmoil at the State Department. Uh, what did you find? Well, Congress has first tried to use the bully pulpit to kind of name and shame the Trump administration and Rex Tillerson to kind of stop what it's doing in terms of pushing out senior diplomats and rescinding job offers. So many letters have been sent out, bipartisan letters. Uh, John McCain has spoken up on numerous accounts, the Foreign Relations Committees, the House Foreign Affairs Committees, they've all been speaking out. And that appears to have been to little avail. Um, the trends are continuing. So the, the question then is, well, what next? What, I mean, there are legal tools Congress has to force the administration to follow congressional spending directives. There, there are laws in the books. It's, it's, not a, it's not a new issue. So they're not spending the money Congress has given them. They're not spending it in the way it was intended. The lawmakers I've talked to say, we're not sure that we're there yet, that they're going to be using the Empowerment Control Act mechanisms to kind of force the administration. I asked a couple of senators on the Foreign Relations and State Foreign Operations Appropriations Committee this week about actually writing into the text of the law of the fiscal 2018 foreign aid bill requirements that you must have this many employees at this level, et cetera, et cetera. Most people are saying, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Senator Shaheen said, I, you know, she, she, she definitely made a point to me saying, I'm not there Yet. And the clock is ticking on yeah, that the because clock is that ticking. bill is due this month. They're, right, exactly. Problematically, there are not that many opportunities Congress has to pass a bill like this. So they could wait another year and then see if anything improves. Tillerson may be out. Pompeo could be in. Will Pompeo be an advocate for the department? He has not been an advocate for diplomacy as a congressman. So so I guess it's, it's a question to be to be answered. Okay, Pat, so how is all this turmoil at the State Department playing overseas with our allies? This is making our allies very nervous. The The uncertainty over Secretary of State Rex Tillerson combined today with the Im- indictment of um, 
General Flynn, who was the National Security Advisor in the White House. I got an email this morning from a European uh, friend of mine who said, oh, my God, what is going on here? Does this mean the Trump presidency is in turmoil? Tillerson may be out. We don't know anything about Mike Pompeo. Uh, What is going on? Can we trust the United States? Are you going to live up to your commitments? It has our allies uh, very nervous. They've always been able to they think count on the United States as a solid uh, backer of all of our alliances, NATO and East Asia. And now they're just uh, in a great deal of doubt about this. And after Obama, you can fault Obama for a lot of things. But one thing he was was very steady. And to go from that steady administration to a much more volatile one under Trump has our allies worried. All right, Patrick, Rachel, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks. It was a pleasure. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And for more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.